The Guardian. According to the UK Home Office, in 2017, over 27,000 individuals were held in immigration detention. Just over 12,000 of them were forcibly returned to their home countries. The rest, more than 50%, were released. But even for those released, there is little to celebrate. Many are left traumatised by their time in detention, and they have to pick up the pieces after periods of separation from their children, friends and community. A new Guardian survey found that of 188 people who were in detention on August the 31st, 2018, 30% had dependent children here in the UK. Even though I've been here 35 years, even though I've got four kids here, even though I've settled down in this country, as I sit here today, I still face a threat of deportation. To send me to somewhere I don't even know. I haven't been there for 35 years since I've been here. You know, a country I don't know nothing about. It's basically a death sentence. This is just one of the many issues facing those in immigration detention today. It's a two-bunk cell. One man is on a bottom bunk and another man is on the top bunk. Two people live in just a small space. And uh, toilets right there. You know what I mean? For two people to use, you know, curtain to draw. This story is not unique. Many thousands of people currently detained are experiencing similar misery. Welcome to the story. I was 14 years old when I left on a cargo ship sailing around the world. Travelling to Barbados, right up to Venezuela. When I came back ashore, I was about 22. I met my partner and then uh, I came to England. I paid my passage and then they gave me indefinite leave to remain 1991. Actually, you know, when I got to England, um, uh, it was green, it was like bright, it was beautiful. Like I'm thinking, wow, this place is wonderful, this place is nicer than back home. So it was all exciting to me, you know, I mean, very, very exciting. I made friends and get to know more about England like got married and settled down and everything. Started studying. I love it from the start, like, I love it, yeah. Not just liked it, I love it, you know what I mean? Family was all the time very close to each other, you know, keeping in touch with each other. Well, my son is bright and intelligent and, you know, very outgoing. Then my daughter, the smallest one, she's like, Daddy, could you tell me about this and tell me about that? She's like always on my case to tell her everything that's going on. 
Yeah, inquisitive, and you know, very close to me. And she always on the Miami anywhere we go. You know what I mean? She's the smallest, so we keep her on the Miami, like <laughs> yeah. I've been doing decorating for 20 years now. I do fair kitchens, fitted bathrooms, tiling, laminate flooring. The works like, you know what I mean? All this time, I've been trying to open my own business, selling jelly coconuts and mangoes and sour soaps and stuff like that. Very nice Caribbean fruits like. My kids helped me to save that money for my own van. It took me seven years save up because I didn't want to get a loan. And then I bought my van and uh, I got more work then than I ever had. I started doing removals. Things was really, really brightening up. Well, it was on a Sunday, innit? Yes, it was on a Sunday, two o'clock in the morning. I'm in my van away from work. I just come from doing a removal and a woman was in my van, said she left the phone in my van. She called me, asked me for the phone. I said, well, you didn't leave the phone in my van. Then she called the police, said I stole the phone. Well, you know, two o'clock in the morning, not expecting to see the police. I was just packing up outside my home. The police came to the van and searched me. They searched the van for the phone. They couldn't find the phone, but they arrest me. For a working knife, which I was using to do my removal that night, it's a Stanley knife, you know, the triangle blade. Every decorator I have on them in the side pockets, in their overalls. That's the kind of knife any decorator would use. And they arrested me for it. Well, I was thinking, well, this is going to be over soon because they got my car, they got my decorating car, they got all that. But the police brought me down to the police station. They said, we're arresting you for having a weapon in the public. I apologize for having the knife on me. I said to the sergeant, it's a working knife, sergeant. I work with that knife all the time. But the sergeant started threatening me, say, we're going to deport you. We're going to get the immigration to send you home. So I was in prison then. I got prison number now. First time I've ever been in prison. And they left me down there for four months. Waiting for them to release me. It's very, very scary now. I'm trembling, brother. And uh, one day, the immigration officer come and visit me in my cell. Saying to me, we're revoking your bail. We're revoking your release. You're in detention with emigration now. It felt like an attack. It felt like there was attacking me and determined to deport me.
I've woken up in detention and the first thing I can think about is how do I get out of here to get back to my life, to get back to my kids. Look on my left is a wall and look on my right is another wall. Look in front of me, there's a big heavy iron door that's still locked like I'm in prison still. It was freezing cold, really freezing cold. The clothes I had on me, I had to sleep with it all night even though they had colds. You have chocolate bottoms and you have another chocolate bottoms underneath and you, you, have, you have a couple of pairs of socks on, on, your, on each feet. You got to jump on you and then your jacket on you again. It's freezing in there. Hard sponge prison beds. Same prison beds, the same prison pillows. Sleeping on the beds, you know, I mean, I started getting rash and I had rash all over my legs and I realized it wasn't rash. It was bed bugs was biting me all over my legs. Sometimes the cell is locked. He cannot get out. There's no privacy. It's a two bunk cell. One man is on a bottom bunk and another man is on the top bunk. Two people live in just a small space and uh toilet is right there. You know what I mean? For two people to use, no curtain to draw. You can see cockroaches, them them little tiny mice, you know, running around. When I got in there, it was nasty, it was dirty, so I had to get cloth and sponge and mop and bucket. If you don't clean up yourself, then it wouldn't get clean. I didn't know how long I was going to be held for. I asked them how long I'm going to be held. They said they couldn't give me an answer as long as it takes. That hit me really hard. I was in tears. I was in suffering now. I'm thinking like, you know, what next? I was in a twist like my head. I just couldn't understand nothing that was going on. Why is this happening to me? I call up my kids every day, yes. That's what kept me going. My son called me, my daughter called me, my other little daughter called me. They come from school. There's a normal conversation. How was school? What did you do today at school? What are you going to have for dinner tonight? I'm very proud of you guys. I love you guys more than anything in the world. How are you doing, Daddy? Are you keeping yourself all right, Daddy? You know, we miss our cuddles. When are you going to come out? When are you going to come out? I say, I'm working on it. Be patient with me, please. After I put the phone down, oh, oh man, oh, heartbroken. I feel, you know, um, poor. You feel like you cannot do nothing, man. You, you feel totally useless. You feel miles away, like. That made me feel like, you know, stupid, like, Really, really stupid that like I got myself where I end up now, you know what I mean?
by 8.45, you're locked down. You're in your rooms and that's it. They lock the door. You're in confined space now. You get me? So if they wanted to take out any people, they took them out while it was on lockdown because you cannot see when they're taking out the people or anything like that. Then you come back out and you, you realize, where's this person gone? Oh, they took him just now. Oh, where's this person gone? Oh, they took him already. You know what I mean? And you don't see that person again. So you're thinking, boy, what time in the night they're going to come and get me? You know what I mean? You're up all night, two o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. You still can't fall asleep yet because you're scared they, they're coming and get you, to deport you. And what are you going to do about it? You can't do anything about it. At night time, you won't be able to get in touch with your lawyer. You won't be able to get in touch with anybody by the time they come and get you. You're scared. Your heart is like going boom, 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 like this. Like your heart will burst out of your chest. They're calling you to deport you now. You get me? At night, it's very noisy. Some people shouting, fighting, playing very, very loud music. Everybody else is like banging the doors and kicking the doors and shouting, what the hell you got us in here for? What have we done? Really making a big upset about it. prison the people was taking drugs all the time in detention it got worse the guys was getting spice and they was getting high on it at night and i said well how do you get that stuff in here these guys never stayed still in their rooms you know what i mean it was screaming actually screaming you know and it's not one person you ain't doing that you know you ain't a few of them screaming like that like something's happening to them It was very, very troubling, you know what I mean? Very troubling for me, because I never seen anything like that in my life. I was in detention for eight months, and yeah, I get to come home and sleep in my own bed, and it was wonderful. Oh, I felt great, but the problem still exists. The immigration still have a deportation order against me. Even though I've been here 35 years, even though I've got four kids there, even though I've settled down in this country, as I sit here today, I still face a threat of deportation. To send me to somewhere I don't even know. I haven't been there for 35 years since I've been here. You know, a country I don't know nothing about. It's basically a death sentence. I'll be 55 this year. I paid my taxes, I paid my insurance. You know, this is my home. England is my home. And uh, I had to end up selling my van. I had to end up selling everything to pay the lawyers. I got to start all over again. Everything I built up, it was broken down into nothing, into me having nothing at all. 
Since recording this interview, there has been a positive development. After more than a year of uncertainty and two appeals, a judge overruled the Home Office and said he could stay. But even though this is a victory, the damage has already been done. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed here, organisations who might be of help include Detention Action, Medical Justice and Bail for Immigration Detainees. Contact details for all these organisations can be found in the episode's description on The Guardian website. This podcast was produced by David Waters. The executive producer for The Guardian was Max Sanderson, with additional help from Diane Taylor, Mark Rice-Oxley and Mustafa Khalil. If you want to find out more about our detention project, head to theguardian.com. And to find out more about our other podcasts, head over to theguardian.com forward slash podcast. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Podcasts.